Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Preview Review, the movie trailer podcast hosted by me, Tyler Ellison, and... <sighs> oh, sorry, it's been oh. a minute. I just, I, I don't live in between podcast Ryan, episodes. Ryan has been in the liminal space between states of being since I, our last episode was recorded. I only <laughs> exist when podcasts are being recorded. Coming out of hibernation. Wow, what is this? Uh, 2023? Still, yeah. Wow, I thought it'd been much longer. Well, it was only like a month ago, so. Ugh. Remember, we had the previewees, and then we had another episode where we talked about, I don't know, movie trailers, Fast I'm assuming. X. Yeah, Remember? Fast X. Let's ride. Let's ride. <laughs> well, it's me, Orion Toon. <laughs> it's a me, Tyler Ellison. <laughs> well, speaking of it's a me. Ryan, you've seen Mario as well as some other m- movies that we previously pre-reviewed. Yeah, they got streamed into my consciousness while I was in yeah, hibernation. Yeah, this doesn't make sense because how are you... Let's keep the big going. <laughs> how are you floating? And... You gotta just yes and it. No, you're only... Like, the only thing that exists in your liminal space is just like an AMC theater that you go to. Beautiful. I only live on Honestly, that's my dream existence. and chicken tenders. <laughs> you could survive on everything that I have at a- AMC. I can even get drunk. Yeah, there's they a got, MacGuffins. They have this new thing with a peanut butter whiskey for the Guardians movie. Oh. It's like a peanut butter and jelly drink. Ew, sounds gross. Yeah, that's what I said. But our friend Ian, he said that he wanted to try it because he likes peanut butter whiskey. Did he try it? No. You're a loser. I, it's true. Anyways. If, if you don't drink, you're a loser. That's what preview reviews No, says. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying don't say you want to try something and then not try it. I guess that's true. I try everything I say I'm going to try. Well, I want to try, like, being play, a millionaire. <laughs> I want to try playing the new Star Wars video game, but I don't have a PS5. Mm. So, you know, there's like a barrier to entry with some things. Yeah, but he was there. Yeah, but maybe at the he bar. didn't want to spend money on it. Mm. I don't know. Sounds like he's talking a big game and not a lot of action. Also, he didn't see it until we were leaving the theater. Oh. So it's not like he's gonna get it to go and that then drive. Really inhibit his options. I don't think you can get it to go. Can you put that? Can you put a lid on that thing? And that's the thing I miss most about the deep COVID pandemic was driving to Chili's and getting to go. You can still do it. Really? Yeah, in California, like wow. after COVID, like things were coming back in. Like the governor's like, yeah, you could still get to go alcohol. Wow. God bless America. One of the biggest silver linings of you know, COVID. Let freedom ring. <laughs> Well, um, anyways, do you want to jump into our recurring segment and let us know what uh, other movies that we previously previewed you've seen and what you think about them? Yes, but only if you play the theme song first. Okay, it's time for Ryan's Review Roundup. Ryan's Review Roundup. Okay, great. Thank you so much, DJ Tyler. What did I preview review? Or what did I watch? What was streamed into my consciousness? Ah, uh, yes. I saw the Mario movie. The Super Mario Brothers movie, if you will. Super Mario Bros movie. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry, sorry. And it's only one of two films on this uh, review roundup docket that features Chris Pratt and the Beastie Boys song No Sleep Till Brooklyn. <laughs> Weird that it happened twice in one month, but it did. <laughs> and this is the inferior film that features both of those, but it's not a bad film. The animation is super stunning. If you're a Mario fan, I don't see how you're not going to love this movie. It's basically Mario 
the movie, right? What it's telling you it is. Sorry, I don't know how else to say it. But it's like a fan service movie for the fans of Mario. So, if you've been a lifelong Mario fan and you like can recognize deep cuts and newer things, you're going to go, ooh, ah, it's going to be you and the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme the whole time. If you're just a fan of the older Mario games, there's stuff for you and you're going to go, ooh, ah. If you're just a fan of the newer ones, you're going to go, ooh, ah. It's pulling from every corner of Mario's lore. Honestly, it was better than I expected it to be coming from Illumination Studios. It might be my favorite Illumination movie. Actually, I think I like Despicable Me 1 a little better. But other than that, it might be the best Illumination movie, at least in 10 years, right? Uh, given I haven't seen either Secret Life of Pats movies or the Sing movies. So, um, yeah. But I do think there are some weak points in this film. It does feel very rushed, but... If you're, like, a kid that loves Mario, you're not going to notice that because you're just going to go, ooh, the next thing, ooh, the next thing. And I think that's what this movie is all about, is going, ooh, the next thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it succeeds 100% at what it's trying to accomplish, which is just giving you a fun time in the theater with the Mario Bros. characters. As much as possible. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the plot is pretty paper thin, but Mario movies or Mario games don't have a plot either. It's go save the princess or... G- in the simplest version of it, if you're just looking at a level, it's go right, you know? So they, they were working with what they got. Honestly, my biggest disappointment in this film was Fred Armisen as Cranky Kong. Mm. I think he's the weakest of the voice cast. I think everyone else does either okay or really well in their roles. I was su- I was surprised by Chris Pratt doing as well as he could. I was, you know, that was something I was trepidatious about going in, but I think he really pulled it off. Uh, obviously the standout of the voice cast is Jack Black's Bowser, Peaches, the song has swept the nation, and by the time this episode comes out, it'll already be a trend in the past, and you'll feel like I'm talking about something from 20 years ago. But it wasn't 20 years ago, it was two months ago! But that's how the news cycle works. Did you hear that Peaches is gonna be eligible for the Best Original Song category at the Oscars? Can it get nominated, and can it win? I don't know. I'm invested in I don't think it'll win. But depending on what other songs come out, I think it could be nominated. I think it would be fun. But yeah, um, Tyler, you were there with me when we saw this movie on the big screen That's in my right. liminal space mind. How did it, How was that yeah, experience? Luckily, I get to teleport into your uh, liminal liminal space. My liminal AMC. <laughs> your back rooms. Yes. Oh my, it's theater seven. <laughs> my back rooms um, are all just theaters. Yeah, I liked it. It was a fun time at the theater. It definitely does feel like drinking from a fire hose a little bit where there's so many references and one-liners and things happening. Um, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, movies made for families and kids and they have short attention spans, so it makes sense to like try and get as much out there as possible. But there was definitely a few moments where I like rolled my eyes or shrugged my shoulders at like the like seemingly like building plot tension and then it like completely erases it. Like Princess Peach says, you can't join me on this quest. You don't even know like where you are or how to fight. And Mario's like, oh, come on, please. And she goes, okay. Well, wait, first he, like, had to do, he had to do a Mario yeah, first. But, but then, the, but then he, she was like, okay, you can do it if you finish this obstacle course. And then there's a montage of him not doing the obstacle course. And she says, you can come anyway. Yeah. She so had it's to just show... like very funny how. Uh, and he had to eat a mushroom, which I, are gross. Yeah. And I feel like kids movies always do this where it's like, we're going to tease you that there's going to be a conflict about this thing. But then really like. Ultimately, we both know that, like, Mario is going on the journey, so it doesn't really matter, like, what they try to set up, and it was just, like, for the sake of this, like, five-minute montage to holding up for a hero, which was fine. I mean, it's a fun part of the movie, but it just, it shows you the difference between, like, 
writing for the sake of the story and writing for the sake of like because we want to get these characters where they need to go so we can like show you the things we want to show you but also we had to let him do a mario he had to jump across (laughs) the things he had to hit the blocks yes that's where we got to see that and then we got to see it again when he has to fight donkey kong and we had to see it again when he gets to do like the car like there was lots of when he's getting to do a Mario, he has to do a Mario because the whole movie is him doing a Mario. I loved it. He got yeah, to do a no, Mario I'm not like saying it's seven bad. times. It's just, fu- it's just funny. If you're doing a Mario in the video games, you do it way more than he does it in the movie. But I agree, Jack Black, top tier. And honestly, the way that they like landed the plane, like the third act of like spoiler alert, I guess for the Super Mario Bros. movie, like it already made a billion people. The way that it. the way that they bring the like final fight into like the real Brooklyn world, I thought was kind of a cool. Uh, ending for it and I'm excited to see like with the teases and the post credits and stuff like I think they have a lot to build off of for future installments and I'm sure there's going to be like a dozen more of these movies but mm. you know I'll check them out but that's the thing is this movie was better than expected but still like just fine right like for a Mario fan you love it right but I'm expecting more from a sequel now for sure so if the sequel comes out and it's just this again i'm gonna go okay yeah but if a sequel comes out and it's way better i'm gonna be like this is what i saw in my head when i saw the first movie yeah but then i rewatched the first movie and i realized it wasn't as good as the first time i watched it but now i'm watching the second one and it's just as good as i thought the first one was yeah you know that whole process you go through yeah absolutely all right well for the sake of time let's keep going two more review roundups oh we gotta do this okay okay um let's save Chris, we'll take a break from Chris Pratt and we'll go over to Nicholas Cage. And Nicholas Holt. Oh, double Nick time in Renfield. This campy schlock film that is pretty fun even if it is pretty uneven. It feels like a remnant of the 90s films almost where it's like, we can't just have a movie about Nicholas Cage being Dracula. We also have to throw in, like, a major subplot about the mob and police corruption for some reason. But it works for what it's trying to do. I think it would be an okay movie if it didn't have Nicolas Cage as Dracula. But since he's in it, I'm bumping it up to an alright movie. You know, it's a solid B- minus right there. If you're gonna go in... Honestly, there are some really great sequences where it's, like, homages back to the earlier Universal Monster movies, and I think those were done really well. I think Nicolas Cage and Nicholas Holt can hold their own comedically and in the action sequences. This movie's outrageously gory for no reason at all, but I loved it. Um, it's just, sometimes when it cut back to the cop stuff with Aquafina, it kind of felt like the pacing slowed down a little bit, or a lot a bit. Um, but, I don't know. If you yeah. want to rent it, go ahead and rent it. But yeah. I wouldn't say you need to go see it in the theater. No, the, like, trying to really invest in the B-plot was definitely the lowest part of this movie for me. And, like, okay, it's a fun Nicolas Cage, like, vampire movie. Like, you could have Aquafina's character and, like, that, even the whole plot with the mob, like, that I like the landed well stuff. is, it, it, you know, that landed well kind of, like, tying the movie together where, like, the mob teams up with Dracula. Spoiler alert, again. I'm spoiling all these movies. But This movie's not even in theaters um, anymore. It's fine. Like... You didn't have to, like, also have Aquafina have this whole, like, The Departed plot where, like, her dad was a cop that was killed by these people and she's trying to get revenge, but she's been, like, demoted. and Because the her sister on the FBI. Is like, it was, like, a whole thing that I was just like, man, you went really deep in, like, this character instead of just, like, giving us more of Dracula. I would have been okay with the Aquafina character more if they leaned into the, like, she wants to have a romance with Renfield. Yeah. But overall, I think it's still a fun time. 
even if it isn't like the end all be all Dracula movie that we could have been hoping for. All right, moving on back to Chris Pratt. This is time to face the music as all the posters and trailers say guardians of the galaxy volume three. This is the latest installment in the Marvel cinematic universe and the capper to the guardians of the galaxy trilogy. And I think they stuck the landing perfectly. This is really tough for me because I'm such a big fan of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I'm still struggling to say which one I like better. I still think I'm leaning more towards 2, but 3 is still really strong. The characters in this film are so fleshed out and well-rounded. Everyone is written so well. It doesn't feel like anyone's having too much screen time or too little screen time, even though they have this giant ensemble. And the newcomers, the villain the High Evolutionary and Adam Warlock are also very fun and menacing when they have to be. I don't know. I just feel like James Gunn threw his whole heart into this movie and you feel it. You, I mean, I cried twice in this movie. I'm not afraid to say it, but... Just twice? Yeah, just twice. <laughs> Where are you at? What's your cry count? <laughs> I don't think I stopped crying, honestly. Wow. You start. It starts out with Rocket walking down to Creep. Yeah. And it ends with... Spoilers, and you were crying the whole time. Lawrence in the machine at the end, man. No tears stopping. We'll only go by the uh, the soundtrack. Okay. I cried at Creep. I cried at No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Did you cry? I cried at Dog Days Are Over. Did you cry at um? What's that one? Boom, 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 boom. Oh, uh, yes. What's that song called? Crazy on you. Crazy on you. There it is. That was a good scene. That was a really I good see that sequence. scene on TikTok all the time now. That's the thing about new movies. I There's so many clips on TikTok. I'm okay. like, how are these clips getting uploaded so fast? Okay, the crazy thing is, someone like definitely pirated the Mario movie, and every day I would go on TikTok, and they'd go on TikTok Live, and they'd just play <laughs> the whole the Mario movie. They uploaded it on Twitter? The Mario movie? Yes, the whole thing. <laughs> Piracy's getting out of hand. But, hey, I guess if you don't want to go to the theaters to watch this, and you'd rather watch it on your phone in vertical mode... I mean, you're missing a lot of the experience, but yeah. that's a way you can do it. Yeah. Um, anyways, Guardians 3 is great. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Yeah. It's honestly... It's so good. It just makes your heart feel happy. And, and sad. Complete. It's like... But also, it's cathartic. Yes, absolutely. It's a great send-off to these characters. And it's a great farewell to James Gunn as he moves from Marvel to DC. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's it for Ryan's Review Roundup. Wow. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next time on Ryan's Review Roundup next month. And but for now, we'll see oh, you. Oh, I thought you were just leaving. Oh, yeah. I'm going back to the liminal the space. Rest of Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, here we go. Um, no, but we do for the sake... We got we got 16 minutes into the episode. We got to jump into the, the actual content for this week. Um, okay, we got... On today's episode, we're going to be talking about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Ooh. Flamin' Hot. Ouch. The Flash. And Transformers: Rise of the Beasts. Ah, these are the noises that are associated. Why is the flash? Because it's like like a flame and hot. Well, no, the is like because he's like he's skidding. Oh. It's when he skids. And he goes. Whoosh. Yeah. Okay. Whoosh. We can do whoosh. Yeah. I just that's the only one that I had. All right, we're gonna on. go the back to Spider Man. Really Spider Man can be. Okay, we're okay. We're okay on that one. All right, more noises. That's what people want. Well, let's talk about Spider Man across Spider Verse. Flip. Uh, this is a sequel to, uh, what was the first one called? Into. Into the Spider-Verse, uh, is being directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, who, uh, as well as, uh, Kemp Powers, this is their, like, 
directorial debut. They were both or mm-hmm. have other credits. Uh, Joaquin DeSantis was like a storyboard artist and a director on shows like After the Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. And then Ken Powers was a writer on the film One Night in Miami, as well as a co-director of the Pixar film Soul. And then Justin K. Thompson is another collaborator. So there's three credited directors. That's probably like the limit, right? Do you think there's a, there's a movie that has like four or more directors? That's well, not like what if an anthology type What of if thing? it's like a... You get two, like, directors, but it's, like, the Coen brothers and the Wachowskis. So, it's, like, technically four mm, people. Interesting. But it, it's, like, credited as two. I don't two. know if that's ever happened, though. I'm just saying, I think for, like, one feature film that's not, like, one of those things where it's, like, each, like, like four directors did, like, different things. Or I feel like three is, like, the limit. Otherwise, it's, like, why? I don't know. Maybe you need five directors <laughs> to make a good movie. We just haven't seen it because it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's actually the key to all of success is like you have to have more people in charge. Well, yeah, the more collaborators you have, you know, the more fleshed out a single vision can be. Too many cooks makes the kitchen function way better, and, and the food smoothly. tastes better, yes. and everyone's more happy with it. Yes, exactly. No one's dissatisfied. No, but I mean, I get it. Especially like I feel like it's very common on animated projects like this movie to see multiple directors because there's so many facets to. The voice performances and the illustrations and, like, the script supervisor, like, all of those mm-hmm. different pieces of a film. Um, so you often see multiple directors. And it's very cool that all of these guys are, like, newcomers to, not necessarily the industry, but to, like, a feature directorial debut. Yeah. So And to take, like, a huge franchise like Spider-Man. That's really cool. Yeah, and it's worth noting, I think, that these are all different directors than the ones that were credited on Into the Spider-Verse. Well, yeah, that's how uh, directorial so the debuts same, uh, So it's the same writer, writing team for the sequel, but not a different directing team, which is interesting. But is it the same voice cast? Well, there's a uh, there are definitely recurring folks in the voice cast. Uh, and by the way, this movie's coming out on June second, so it's starring Shmeek Moore and Haley Steinfelder back from the uh, the first movie, as well as Jake Johnson. Uh, this cast also features Issa Rae, Daniel Kaluuya, Jason Schwartzman, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, and Luna Loren Velez are once again back reprising their roles as Miles Morales' parents. And then Oscar Isaac um, is a newcomer on this film. Oh no, he's in the post credit scene of the first oh, one. Oh, that's true. I guess technically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's featured, seems prominently in this film as Miguel, what's his last O'Hara. name? O'Hara. Miguel O'Hara. Spider-Man um, 2099. Well, Ryan, you're the Spider-Man expert, so go ahead and tell us what you know about what to expect from Across the Spider-Verse. Across the Spider-Verse. I'm not the biggest Miles expert, but I am the biggest Spider-Man fan in the room, so we'll take it. Uh, so this movie starts out, at least it looks like Miles is going on doing his Spider-Man thing. He's the only Spider-Man in his universe right now, and he has to fight crazy weird villains like the Spot who are voiced by Jason Schwartzman, who's just like some guy who can use portals to steal grocery store items or something. I don't know. Uh, He's kind of a D-list Spider-Man villain. But that's not the real plot of the movie. The real plot of the movie happens when Haley Steinfeld shows up and goes, hey, we got to go to Spider-Man land or whatever they called it. Um, Spider Society. The Spider Society. It's like when you go to the Council of Ricks in Rick and Morty or the Council of Kings in Ant-Man. It's where all the variant Spider-Mans hang out and do Spider-Man things. And the leader of the Spider Society is Spider-Man 2099, Miguel O'Hara, voiced by Oscar Isaac. And he goes, hey, you're a new Spider-Man, right? And Miles Morales goes, yeah. And he goes, but you don't have a tragic backstory yet. So I think what they're hinting at in the plot for this movie is um miles's dad needs to die for him to like have that experience like lost that all the spider-men have with lot losing uncle ben or something like that and if he doesn't die something crazy happens in the multiverse so he needs to let him die to save the multiverse but miles doesn't want to do it so spider-man 2099 sends 
every Spider-Man after Miles and says, stop him so he doesn't save his dad. And Miles says, but I want to save my dad. Mm-hmm. And there's your conflict. Yeah. You hear the line from Oscar Isaac in the trailer. It's like, you can save one person or you can save everybody. It seems like an easy choice to me. And then Miles responds like, I'm going to do my own thing. I can I can do both, right? And I think this is a cool like juxtaposition to kind of the main theme of the first film, which was like Miles Morales not really like believing in himself, being able to be capable of being Spider-Man, and then having to take the leap of faith, which is still like one of the best scenes I've ever like witnessed in a movie theater, um, and like fully embracing his identity as Spider-Man. But this is also cool because now he's like, I can also like do my own thing. I can be Miles Morales and I don't have to like fall into what the story that everybody else expects of me as Spider-Man. I can do my own thing and I can also like be who I am while also being Spider-Man. And so it's kind of this cool like dichotomy between the thematic journey that he went on in the first film um, that we can already see kind of being set up by this trailer. But I mean, we could all be wrong. I mean, it's possible. The trailers could be doing a lot of subterfuge, <laughs> and the movie's actually about, uh, he just needs to get an A in Spanish class to please his mom. <laughs> Seems like mama's mad about that B, for sure. It's true. It's cool. Have you seen, uh, when she snaps in the movie for, like, a split second, the animation, like, throws up the Puerto Rican flag. Oh, yeah. Like, right above her fingers. It's just cool little things like that that you can do in animation that don't really translate well to live action. Like, yeah. that'd be crazy if well, someone snapped I, and the Puerto Rican flag showed up. I think this film has, like, changed a lot of folks' expectations and, like, uh, visions of what an animated film can do and what it can achieve by, like, playing with different styles and mm-hmm. things like that. And um, it's cool that even though this is a new directorial team, like, obviously that writing team and a lot of the creative team behind it is still, like, trying to capture that kind of unique and inventive way that Into the Spider-Verse kind of changed the game of what folks expected out of, like, an animated Spider-Man film and trying to continue that through through this. Because already some of the sequences we see in the trailer, especially the stuff with, like, multiple spider versions of spider people on screen like there's just so much really fun stuff that they get to do with the different like stylistic choices between what each spider variant like looks like and how they interact with the world around them it's very neat yeah and it's cool like in those sequences you can pause it and find so many different easter eggs um we haven't mentioned Issa Rae or Daniel Kaluuya yet but they're playing other spider people Issa Rae is playing spider woman and this version of Spider-Woman is pregnant. I think she's the Jessica Drew ver- version. Um, so that's cool. We get to see a pregnant Spider-Person. Daniel Kaluuya is playing Spider-Punk, who like loves punk music and has like the spiky hair, like mohawk thing. So that's cool. Um, we have other versions of Spider-Man that you can see in this. Like People have pointed out like that's the animation style and the version of the spectacular Spider-Man, like the Spider-Man that... Uh, the show that was on the CW in like the early 2000s Mm. or that's the Spider-Man from the PS4 game right there or that is Ben Riley, who in the comics is a clone of Spider-Man and he can also do spider stuff so it's just cool to like see everything like if you love Spider-Man or even if you just love one part of Spider-Man you can find it in somewhere in this movie and I think this movie is in a really unique place acknowledging all the multiverse but still being able to have its own story. So it's not necessarily bound to what happens in the comics or what happens in the TV shows or movies or video games, right? It can create its own new story while still acknowledging that those do happen just in another part of this multiverse, which actually does throw tension in it because usually in the comics or the main story, Miles' dad does die. Like, he's not around very much. Like, he's had more of a character already in these movies than he usually does. So it could be possible that he saves him, or maybe they're going to say, we actually need to do what the other stories do. So you're not going to be 
you know, you're always going to be on your toes. You're not going to know where the story's going, which yeah, is cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't think there's, like, an expectation. There's an expectation that we get to see a lot of different, like, interpretations and, uh, you know, things from within the Spider-Man, like, canon throughout all of time, basically. Um, but not, like, an expectation that this is to follow, like, one specific storyline or not. It's kind of getting to play in basically the sandbox of all the different possibilities of Spider-Man, but not necessarily stick to one narrative path or another. Mm -hmm. And that's another cool thing of like having this movie be, or these movies be miles centric is that miles is still a newer character in pop culture. Like, I think he's less than 20 years old at this point, like the character of miles Morales. So there's not as much history to pull on or people be like, Hey, that's just like this comic in 1973. So they're doing that plot line. It's like, oh, they're doing something new, and that's okay because it's a new character and he needs new stories. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited for this one. I think Into the Spider-Verse, you know, rightfully won that uh, Oscar for Best Animated Feature. I think it was one of the best films of that year, let alone Best Animated Films of that year. And uh, I've seen some speculation online that people were like, what's going to happen if the sequel comes out and it sucks? Um, but I'm like, I don't know. I think embracing the unique vision that that first movie had... Uh, so many great returnees to the voice cast as well as new additions and already being able to see kind of what they're going for thematically in this trailer. I don't see how this movie is going to be a letdown. Maybe my expectations will be a little bit higher than it was going into the first movie, but I, uh, I really think that this one's going to land the plane. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about this? The movie used to be called across the spider verse part one, but they've dropped the part mm-hmm. one, but recently there have been reports that come out and say, that hasn't changed the plot of this movie at all. It still ends on a cliffhanger. It's still going to oh, interesting. feel yeah. like a part one. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And I think they've actually, they have changed it to Across the Spider-Verse and the sequel has just changed its title to Beyond the Spider-Verse. Oh. And so I think they're just trying to set that path up a little bit more rather than sticking to like a same title, but the it's naming part one convention. Part two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it could be interesting f- seeing a animated film. They don't usually end on cliffhangers like this. No, yeah, it's true. So... Who knows? It could be the Empire Strikes Back of our day. That would be neat. I, uh, yeah, I'm stoked for this. I, I have no other words other than just, like, being super, super excited for seeing what this has in store. I agree. Well, let's, uh, talk about something else that is also in stores. Oh, yeah? Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Oh, uh, they're alright. And, uh, if you've had them, they're not my favorite. I prefer regular Cheetos, but I know oh, I, like I know it's got, Cheetos. like, a cult following. What do you think um, about the hot Cheetos that have, like, lime infused? Um, I think they're fine. I, I think, think regular of all the Cheetos, I prefer regular Cheetos. What about hot fries? Hot fries are good. I like hot fries better than hot Cheetos. Really? I think hot fries are garbage. Give me hot Cheetos over hot fries. What about mm. crunchy or puffy versions? Of Cheetos or hot Cheetos? Which one? I think I like Cheetos puffs, but I think OG Cheetos you are, gotta like, have crunch. the best. Yeah. And... Don't even come near me with hot puffs. Those are not good. What about the cheese? It's like uh, the balls. Oh, like they have hot Cheeto version Cheeto balls? Po- Cheeto balls, yeah. I've never seen the hot Cheeto balls. Mm. Um, I can, honestly, if you give me a tub of Cheeto like balls and like I'm in the right headspace, I could just sit there and eat those for like 20 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's dangerous, honestly. Well, I know they've got this cult following, but I didn't know that apparently there's a dramatic story about how they were created, and that's being brought to the screen, the small screen, because it's going to Hulu. Also um, Disney Plus. By Well, yeah, I think it's that Hulu, like Disney Plus, because in the international market, it's well, Disney Plus. Or... They're going both now. Weird things are happening. I hear that streaming. it's supposed to be going to one app eventually, so I don't know what's happening We can We can do streaming talk later if you want. Yeah. Um, 
but the origin story of the Flamin' Hot Cheeto is being brought to the screen by director Eva Longoria in her future directorial debut um, on June 9th, going to streaming on Hulu and Disney+. And this film stars Jesse Garcia, Dennis Haysbert, Tony Shalhoub, Amelia Rivera, and Matt Walsh. Um, I know a little bit about this story just from another uh, podcast that I listened to, that it was a janitor at the Frito-Lay company called, named Richard Montanez that came up with the idea of like a spicy Cheeto that could be marketed to like the Latino communities. And it's apparently a very big success story. Richard Montanez like has a book and does like public speaking engagements now because of his story of like, kind of like rags to riches. I was just a janitor and I came up with this idea and it's now the most popular Frito-Lay product or whatever. Um, but it's kind of cool to see that, uh, it's being adapted for a film and that Eva Longoria, like a female, uh, Latina director is being the one to help like bring it to life on the screen. I think is very cool. Um, the trailer looks fun. I kind of like the like vibe that it's going for. It seems like it's mixing this kind of comedy of like, you know, the, like what it means for him to be a janitor at Frito-Lay, but also turns the dial up a little bit to be this like a little bit of like an inspirational sob story mm -hmm. of like oh you know i just it's just meaningful to my community to bring this to life and uh being able to see that story play out a little bit in the trailer is cool so i'm excited to see what they do i don't know does it like does it hold up to like a full feature length runtime i don't know how many twists and turns there are in the story and i don't know how true it is to what actually happened but um i mean in the era of like product of the movie that we're getting i don't think it's like a bad story to tell yeah no i'm excited to see it i am interested in seeing this rags to riches story i want to know how he got his idea to the ceo like tony schlub guy i'm like <laughs> seeing tony schlub in this movie makes me even more excited to see this movie because i've anytime he's in the marvelous mrs Maisel, he's stealing the show so put tony schlub in anything and i'm there um but there has been some controversy, just minor controversy about this movie, about how authentic the story is. Mm -hmm. Like, if you notice in the trailer, it says based on the book mm -hmm. by him, not based on the true story. Yeah. So there is some call to be like, hey, is this actually what happened? But honestly, even if it's not, if it makes a good movie, I don't care. I watch movies that show me things that don't happen all the time. Jurassic Park's a great movie. I don't think it really happened. Yeah. It's just based on a book. Yeah, I do think it's a little bit different when you have, like, a movie that's portending to be, like, you know, this is the real story of how these Hot Cheetos got made. And it's like, well, it's really just the, like, inflation inflated story of this guy's ego that, like, said, I had all the credit. But it's also, like, not beyond belief that, like, maybe it's, like, PepsiCo has, like, never confirmed, like, yeah, the janitor came up with this. Mm -hmm. But, like... Maybe they wouldn't want to do that. They want to say, yeah, it was our idea as a company. And Richard Montanez is trying to say, like, no, this is, like, I gave them the idea kind of thing. So there could also be just conflicting reports on that side of things as well. Um, but I, I also agree, like, it doesn't really matter ultimately, like, whether the, the movie good, is good the or not. Good. Um, but it, it, like, also is just, like, if it wasn't based on a true story, I wouldn't just watch, like, a fictional movie about Hot Cheetos, I don't think. But I don't know. Maybe. What, what if Tony Shalhoub was in it? Okay, I'm there. And Evil and Gloria <laughs> And you didn't have to go to the theater, you could just watch it on TV. I mean, that's this movie, basically. Exactly, unless it actually is 100% true and this is a documentary. Now, that is that would be interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd rather watch this fake, fun version of the story of Flaming Hot Cheetos rather than, than some a documentary, documentary yeah. about... And then the janitor said, Elote is spicy, so I want spicy chip. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes, like, sometimes uh, documentaries do good. Like, I just watched this Netflix series documentary that was about, like, the whole, like, Pepsi, like, marketing thing where they did the Pepsi points and the guy wanted the jet. 
Have you heard about this story? Oh, where he tried to win? He tried to win the he, jet yeah, yeah, yeah. he could buy the points. And then uh-huh. Pepsi was like, that was obviously a joke. But they're like, you didn't put a disclaimer that it was a yeah. joke in the ad. Um, it was very interesting. So I was like, you could do... And that is like... That documentary is not made in like a very... It's not a Navalny of like intense investigative mm-hmm. documentary. It's like a fun, lighthearted documentary. Yeah. You could do that for this. But I feel like this is basically the same thing. Like you would have like these reenactments or whatever. This is basically like a documentary reenactment. Yeah. But like just, just that Dramatized. <laughs> yeah. Dramatized. But yeah, um, I do think it's a smart move sending this to streaming. It doesn't yeah, feel like it, it has the star well power yeah. for a theatrical run. I mean, I recognize only Tony Schlu- I guess I know Matt Walsh, too, from Veep. But that's, like, pretty much the only names that I recognize on this list. Yeah. Um, and Eva oh, Longoria. <laughs> but I do think it still does have an audience. People will still... Like, a lot of things that go to streaming just end yeah. up on streaming. But this is something people are actually hearing about, watching the trailer, getting excited for. Yeah. People are reviewing it on their trailer podcasts. So, yeah, like us. So. Yeah, well, we're the only ones, so I was referencing us. <laughs> no one else does this. Um, so I think there is an audience for this. I hope it's good, but I think also just in terms of representation, like it seems like it's representing like Latino families well. And I think that a lot of like Latino families and even in general folks that like hot Cheetos will gravitate towards this film because they're like, Mm -hmm. that's the thing that I enjoy. And I want to like see a movie about this Mm -hmm. thing. It's not just like this Ram story that no one's interested in. That's true. And since we're in the era of product, the movie, this might be the like most inclusive version of that Tetris, right. all white people air. There's like a couple black people, but it's mostly <laughs> about the white people. Around Michael Jordan, but right? yeah. Uh, what else did we have? Oppenheimer. That's a product. It's all white people. <laughs> Barbie. Barbie. There are some black and Asian Barbies, but it's mainly about the white Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> See, we need blackberry. Blackberry is all white people too, but it's a blackberry, but it's a Canadian film. Boo. I mean, Good things can come Are out of Canadians Canada. Canadians minorities, not in Canada, in the U.S. Well, yes, because they're they like, don't live here. They don't live here. Yeah, they're Canadians. They're, they're tourists. Exactly. And I'd say there are more people that live in the United States than tourists in the United States. <laughs> so I guess they're minorities. But I wouldn't go on the record saying Canadians are minorities. <laughs> don't quote me. <laughs> well, Tyler, we've been speaking a lot about product, the movie. Yeah, and- we've already mentioned several of these things and i don't feel like it's stopping soon i mean jerry seinfeld has like a pop tart movie coming out later this year supposedly i don't know if it's supposed to be about like the invention of the pop tart or if it's like i think it's supposed to be a movie that takes place like in the universe of pop tarts because i think like Pop-Tart, little debbie is like a character in this movie there's pop tart canon i don't know what it is where's but the lore it's supposed to be happening so i guess we'll see it when the trailer comes out um but yeah there's lots of these product-based movies coming out and you know i get it it's nice for the audience to have a draw to see something that's not, like, the people attached to the movie. Like, they're like, oh, I know what a Barbie is. Like, I want to go see that movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're getting into this weird era where people say, I'm tired of IP-based films. Don't give me sequels. Don't yeah. give me things based on comics. Give me things based on Hot Cheetos. Yes. <laughs> give me things based on Tetris. But it makes sense for studios. Like, okay, we want to tell original stories, but, you know... How it's like I get it. Like people always complain. Like these movies that get nominated for like best like best picture. Like it's always these dramas that nobody sees because it's like hard to market a random movie called like Pig when it's Ooh, like Pig's what good. is that about? It's a great movie, but like wh- how do you market that to people when you're like oh this is the story the real story that you remember these news li- news headlines about this thing happening like or like Bear. you remember like 
using this thing all throughout the 90s don't you want to know what the like secret behind the air jordan was or whatever and so i get that for the studio's sake it's like give something for the audience to relate to and attach to about the movie that's not like reliant on it being a sequel or existing in a franchise or anything like that yeah and i feel like we used to get these kind of movies a lot more back in the early 2000s or even the 90s not basically about products but more about like this is the real life story of so and so kind right. of thing. So maybe it's a return to that kind of thing. Yeah. So, Tyler, I think it would be fun if we came up with our own version of this. Okay, it would since, be. Since but there's only two of us, so it's not going to be a great version. We need at least six more directors in right <laughs> to make a truly yes. wonderful masterpiece. But well, I think what if we didn't direct them at all? Oh, okay. I guess I was really excited to come out with our directorial debut but who do you got in mind who should we have direct well i think the way that we're gonna do this game and we're just gonna scrap the bit that this is impromptu now because we have to do some (laughs) prep work for this uh the way that this is gonna work is we have ryan and i have each selected two um we've wrote down two directors two products that the movie could be based on as well as two random caveats that the movie would have to feature and we're gonna pull these out in sets of three and create four different hypothetical movies about random product directed by random director and uh, featuring random, like, other third thing. like, if a real-life example with this would be, it's a movie about the Air Jordan, directed by Ben Affleck, but you can't show Michael Jordan. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And that's what really happened. (laughs) And and that created Air. Or, you know, it's the Hot Cheeto, (laughs) directed by Eva Longoria, and um, Tony Shalhoub Tony has to it. be in the movie somewhere. <laughs> yes. so, so we're going to draw these out. And then at the end, once we have our four random hypothetical movies, we'll figure out um, if which, if any of them could actually be good. And we'll rank them by how good we think they could potentially be. Exactly. Okay. I'm excited. Uh, well, it's still our brainchild. So we get all the credit for it. Not these directors or these products. Yeah. Any four of these movies, if they end up getting made, uh, we will sue. Yeah. Copyright preview review. Okay. So the first film is going to be. The Invention of Fire, that's the product. It's a caveman movie. And this is being directed by James Cameron. Ooh. That's a pretty good pairing already. But let's see what the random caveat has to be. The Invention of Fire by James Cameron has to be a musical. (laughs) Wow. I've never seen James James Cameron direct a musical. Honestly, Spielberg's been doing this with West Side Story. It's time for Cameron to get on it. Okay, let's see. That's that's one movie. That is certainly a movie. James Cameron's Fire the Musical. Okay. We got Yankee Candle. Oh, okay. The invention of the scented candle, specifically the Yankee Candle Company. Okay, okay. Directed by Robert Rodriguez. Ooh, Spy Kids, man. Spy Kids. Hypnotic. In theaters now. And the caveat for this film is that it is a silent film. Okay. Uh, I feel like Robert Rodriguez's visual style could do a silent film. Is he film. Sin City guy? Yeah. Okay, so that makes sense. But the Yankee Candle part's throwing me off. Yeah, if we had the invention of fire being As a, a silent, silent film, film. Perfect, but right. that's not how it worked out. Okay. This The Yankee Candle is crippling it. Okay, this is option number three. We've got the creation of Epcot. That is a movie that could actually happen, for sure. The um, Disney Park Epcot in Florida. Directed by Chad Stahelski. John oh. Wick boy. Okay, very action-packed epic Epcot movie. <laughs> and the caveat is that the entire script is written by ChatGPT. 
Okay. Well, which you don't you don't need a good script when Chad Stahelski's doing all the action. It's true. And it. Chad GPT probably knows a lot about Epcot. It could probably tell you the whole way that that was created and all the twists and turns. That's that true. That's true. Are they allowed to edit the script at all, or does it have to be verbatim what Chad GPT wrote? <laughs> As an artificial language model. Wow. Well, if the writer strike uh, is still going on, this is how we make it. (laughs) All right. And the last film, Starbucks, the movie. Oh, nice. Nice. And this is being directed by Robert Eggers. Oh, okay. The Witch and And the the Lighthouse and the Northman. That's a spooky Starbucks. So how do we call it the Starbucks? (laughs) Maybe it's the, that's the same mermaid from the The lighthouse. It's a crossover. Okay. And it's rated NC-17. Ooh, movies. Because of the original titties on the yeah, Starbucks logo. Perfect. Honestly, that one kind of checks out. Okay. Okay, I, just based on first impressions, I do feel like Epcot and Starbucks are the strongest entries. Yeah, Yankee Candle is killing that Robert Rodriguez silent film. I'm interested in James Cameron's musical about fire, but I don't know how cavemen are going to sing. Yeah, cavemen singing and then also James Cameron directing a musical feels like... Both of those have like some I'd be interested to watch it, but it's not an obvious lock. If I'm a studio exec, I'm not greenlighting this movie. Yeah, I'm not greenlighting the silent Robert Rodriguez film either. Sorry, goodbye. In, okay, initial ranking, mine would be NC Seventeen, Starbucks by Robert, Robert Eggers at the top, then Chad Stahelski, Chad GBT, Epcot movie, and then the other two at the bottom somewhere, kind of I'd tied put for Yankee last. Candle last. Yankee Candle is probably last if I had to like divide those. And then I put up. Cameron Musical right above it. Let's see. I think since I was into Chad Stahelski directing an Epcot movie until the script was written by AI. Yeah. I'm not into it. It's got to go third. So I guess the winner is Robert Eggers making an NC-17 rated Starbucks movie. Undoubted. It's just Howard Schultz getting sucked off the whole time <laughs> by the mermaid. It's like a hallucinogenic. Like wow. And he goes. Espresso, <laughs> as he comes in her mouth, and Gross. you see it all happen because it's rated NC seventeen. Do not bring your kids to the Starbucks movie. <laughs> they don't. They're not interested. It's not about the frappuccinos, kids. Well, you could call it a frappuccino. There's a lot of foam. No, 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 no. Well, that was fun. I hope none of those movies ever get made. No, thank you. Please go away. Go burn. Only in my liminal space theater you can screen. Okay, well, a movie that is being made, or has been made, and comes out on May 19th, is The Flash, directed by Andy Muschietti, who we know has directed It and It Chapter 2. This film stars Ezra Miller, Sasha Cali, Michael Shannon, Ron Livingston, Michael Keaton, and Ben Affleck. That's right, two different Batmans are both in this movie. And uh, it kind of feels like they're trying to sell this movie as a Batman movie, Um, but it really is about, I guess, like, the DCEU's Barry Allen, the Flash, uh, I guess finding like another interdimensional version of themselves. So, and this then film... trying to save their family. I I actually don't get it, but it like it looks cool on okay. screen. That's interesting. Uh, from someone who knows more about the lore of these DC characters, they're adapting one of the most famous Flash stories, which is Flashpoint. So the whole premise of Flashpoint in the comics and like the animated movies and things like that is. Or even in the Flash TV show, um, Barry Allen goes back in time to save his mother. So the like origin of Barry Allen in the mainline continuity right now is his mom is murdered. And then his dad is put away for that murder, but his dad is innocent. Mm. So it kind of like ruins his whole life, right? 
And this is before he has super speed and things like that. He doesn't get that until he's like a young adult or like a older teenager kind of thing. So he's just a little boy without a family. And this is like his crime alley where Batman's parents get killed or his like destruction of Krypton, you know, his origin. So he's going back in time because he is the only character that can actually affect the past with his super speed. He can go through what do they call the... Uh, what do they call it? The speed force. And the speed that allows him to access like time travel kind of. So he can go back in time and fix those things. But that has repercussions that he wasn't aware of. Um, but what it's looking like in this movie is. Uh, that is not in the original Flashpoint story. Is that there's an alternate version of Barry Allen already in that universe. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense because he's going back in time. He's not the child there. He's creating a separate timeline right. Mm-hmm. Um. And in that story, he has to go get help from Batman, uh, who is a different version of Batman than he knows in the comics. In the comics, it's actually, uh, what's his name? Bruce's dad is Batman, because oh, in this reality, Bruce gets killed. So then Bruce's dad has to go and become Batman. And then they find out the government has locked up Superman and is like keeping him like super weak within a radiation room and they're trying to dissect him and things like that so they go save Superman. But in this movie it looks like they're replacing that with Supergirl. Um and the like thing that they have to stop in the comics is like a war between like Wonder Woman's people and Aquaman's people, but here it looks like they have to stop Michael Shannon Zod from Man of Steel from destroying the world. So a lot's going on in this movie. <laughs> And it's a very interesting choice to make your first ever theatrical Flash movie this story. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. It's very ambitious. But I feel like it, like, the trailer does a good job of hyping people up. And, like, you see things and you're like, even if you're someone like me that hasn't seen all the DC projects, it's like, oh, okay, like, yeah, I know about, like, Ben Affleck Batman. And then, oh, I I remember Michael Keaton Batman from the older movies. And, like, oh, Supergirl, that's new. But, like, it's kind of showing that she's new. So you don't feel like you're, like, out on that right so it does a good job of making it look accessible even though like by all accounts like i couldn't have told you like anything about what about that flashpoint yeah <laughs> yeah it and the thing is about flashpoint in the comics it was used to set off like to reset the continuity mm-hmm. so it was the start of this comic run called the new 52 which was like a new like they wanted to reset the continuity so they could do new things with the characters which makes sense because the dcu is now like starting this new continuity mm-hmm. with under James Gunn's so like it's like the right? perfect story to tell to try to reset your story without fully resetting your story, mm-hmm. which is kind of what they're trying to do right now. They're trying to find out what works and find out what doesn't. So it makes sense from like a business standpoint. But what doesn't make sense from a business standpoint is having a criminal as your star of your film, a known abuser and groomer at the helm of your film. Which I think they figured out is not smart because the latest trailer says this is a Batman and Supergirl movie and yeah, the Flash is in it and it happens to be called The Flash. Yeah. So it's a it's a conflicting thing because I am a huge comic book fan. I really like these characters. I'm really excited about this trailer. It looks super exciting uh, seeing Michael Keaton back as Batman, seeing Ben Affleck back as Batman when we thought he was done with it, getting to see Supergirl on screen, seeing what happened if... Superman wasn't there to stop Michael Shannon Zod. This all is very exciting. Seeing Barry Allen go back in time. But the thing is, I really don't like Ezra Miller. Yeah. So. And I've already seen some speculation on Twitter that there's going to be, because of the two versions of Flash, like, there's going to be a 
evolution of the plot where there's like good flash and bad flash mm-hmm. and they're gonna like have to go head to head because they want different things and so it'd be interesting to see also if like i mean i don't know i don't like that it's ezra miller but like i'm interested in that character and how that character develops so it's very conflicting for them to make us like want to go see this movie exactly like, okay no i i know people who are saying like i'm not gonna go see this movie because ezra miller is the lead in this movie and i don't want people to, like studios to say hey he's still a bank or they're still a bankable actor right yeah so like i get that and it is conflicting um yeah and I've seen what your people speculating on internet about like this good flash versus bad flash. There's like, even like toy leaks that show like, I think they call them like anti flash or evil mm-hmm. flash or something like that. Um, yeah. So that's possible that happens. I've also seen, I don't know how credible this rumor is, so it could actually be a leak or it could just be a funny rumor that I saw. So take this with like a grain of salt. And also like, if you're trying to avoid spoilers, maybe skip past this part for a second, but I've seen speculation that, at the end of this movie, Ezra Miller's not going to be able to make it back to the mainline like DC continuity, mm-hmm. so we'll have a new Flash, and he's actually going to get stuck in George Clooney's Gotham from Batman and Robin. Oh my gosh. Like, people don't like that movie or that George Clooney as Batman, so they're like, we're going to stick this like garbage person <laughs> in this garbage universe. George Clooney's not a garbage person. Well, no, no. George Clooney isn't, but Ezra Miller but his is. his universe is garbage. Yes. So, if that happens, it'd be very funny, and I'll applaud. But yeah, the reactions from this film out of CinemaCon, and Tom Cruise got to see it early, and he said oh, it's yeah. gonna save cinema. So, everyone's loving this film. It's just super conflicting feelings about, like, yeah. how do I ethically support this film? But all that said and done... The trailer does look fantastic. It's exciting to see Michael Keaton back. It's exciting to see Michael Shannon back. It's exciting to see Ben Affleck back. If it starred anybody else, it would probably be one of my most anticipated films of the year. Yeah, it does look look pretty good. Um, and all the Ezra Miller situation aside, like it's a lot for me to be like excited to want to go see a new DC project, and I actually am excited to see this one. So I'm gonna take that as a sign. That's like. I'm going to go check it out. There's probably tons of other hardworking people that have, like, yeah, invested in this film. And I want to support their efforts. And, you know, I mean, it's up to the studios and also, like, law enforcement to, like, decide how to handle the Ezra Miller thing. Yes. Uh, and but, they were kind of had their hands tied because they did so much of the production work on this, this film movie has before been any of this, in like, happened. development so hell for it's years. It's not like they kept Ezra, like, on board for this film through all of this, like, accusations and things like that that were happening. So, yeah. You know, a crazy fact about this is Ezra Miller was, like, announced cast as The Flash the same year that The Flash TV show started. And The Flash TV show is ending on their ninth or tenth season right now. (laughs) So, that's how long they've been trying to make this movie. A lot of time to be able to fuck everything up and become a garbage person. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) So, biggest bag fumble, except for he's still getting, or they're still getting their movie made. Yeah. And if we don't go see this movie, uh, everyone's going to think we didn't go see it because they recast his dad. Oh, yeah. That's the only reason. Yeah, Ron Livingston is going to be the, yeah, the sorry, big thorn. Billy, Billy Crudup couldn't make it. Yeah. And we're a huge Billy Crudup stand, so we're going to boycott this yeah, movie. Yeah, I love the morning show. I, I've i never seen it. but I've never seen it. <laughs> but Billy Crudup is good in both versions of the Justice League in his two-second scenes. <laughs> um, and I was like, how much is he in that movie? <laughs> But yeah, are people even going to notice that he got recast? Probably not. 
Well, they are now because everyone listens to our podcast. That's true. We're the number one podcast. Step aside, Joe Rogan. Well, in that case, we gotta get the number one movie of the year on this episode. Oh, we gotta talk about the most anticipated film coming out all year. Doom 2? No, Transformers Barbie? Rise of the Oppenheimer? Beasts. Oppenheimer? Oh, wait. Uh, tr- wait, there's a new Transformers movie? <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> uh, this is being directed by Stephen Cable Jr., who directed Creed 2. It uh, comes out on June 9th and stars Anthony Ramos, Dominic Fishback, Luna Lauren Velez, as well as the voice talents of Ron Perlman, Michelle Yeoh, Peter Dinklage, Coleman Domingo, Pete Davidson. Whoa. And Peter Cullen. He always plays Optimus. Oh, that's right. Classic. Um, I... Would have been shocked if you had told me that there was a new Transformers movie coming out this year. Um, and it is. And I also would have been shocked if you told me that the trailer would low-key make me excited to see this. And it does. So, uh, Tyler, how well-versed are you in Transformers lore? Not very much, but I remember like loving the Michael Bay Transformers movies as a kid. Have like, you seen all five of them? That was a cultural reset. Absolutely not. Which but ones have you seen? I definitely watched the first one in theaters. Probably saw the second one. I probably dropped off around the third, but just remember, like, if I could just put myself back in the, like, heyday of Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox making out on, like, the Camaro, like, I just, that was a cultural reset, and, uh, you know, Transformers, I feel like what the Michael Bay movies did was, like, cool, but it was very Michael Bay action, and yet, somehow, when I watch this trailer and, like, I see like, the one-take, like, fight sequence that's at the end of this most recent trailer, I'm like, damn, this kind of looks badass. But it's just a bunch of CGI, like, car robots and animal robots, which is like, okay, like, yeah, that's all of Transformers, so you can, like, take it or leave it. But it looks pretty dope, and they're setting it in the 90s for some reason, which they don't tell you until after they've already shown you the New York City skyline with the Twin Towers, and I was like, did 9-11 not happen? Did the Transformers stop 9-11? And, uh... The answer is no, apparently, but they could have. I don't know. Questionable. But uh, now it also makes more sense that, like, all the trailers are set to 90s hip-hop songs. I thought that was just, like, a stylistic choice. But it's weird that it took me three trailers to understand that it was set in the 90s and not, like, up front in the first trailer. Yeah, they've been really cagey about, like, the what's going on in this trailer. Or, like, where it fits in the Transformers movie lore. Yeah. Because Bumblebee came out and everyone loved Bumblebee. It was, like, the movie reset... But the thing is, nobody saw Bumblebee. Critics loved it. Audiences love it. But it didn't make money. And that movie was set in the 80s. So you're like, it could still be a prequel to the Michael Bay, uh, what it, what do you call it, Pentology. Because there's five of them. Um, but it could also be starting its new thing. And then this new one comes out and it's got the Transformers logo up front. And it says Transformers. And Bumblebee wasn't called Transformers colon Bumblebee. It was just called Bumblebee. So you're like, is it still the same Bumblebee universe? Mm-hmm. Are we back to the Bayverse? Were they the same? We don't know. Does this take place after the last Mark Wahlberg movie, The Last Night? Or is it a prequel in between? We still don't know if it's like connected to either of those universes or if it's just this new thing that takes place in the 90s. But if you want to, you can weave them all together and make it work. And in that case, then the Transformers did not stop 9-11. But if you're saying this is its own standoff thing, they still have a chance, Tyler. That's what the last movie's going to be about in this new series. Ah. Uh, go 80s, 90s, and then it goes 2001. 2000s. <laughs> Dang. Well, you know if... Uh, you just hear Optimus Prime saying, I've heard of this man, Osama Bin Laden. Well, have you seen that interview with Mark Wahlberg? Oh, about yeah. 9/11? If I was on the plane, it wouldn't have gone down like that. We're going to bring Mark Wahlberg back. Oh, my God. 
But we have to de-age him because it's a prequel. Fulfilling his, his vision. Oh yes. my god. So, uh, but honestly, this movie does look really exciting. Uh, like, even when you were talking about that giant one-take action scene with all the Transformers, they don't look ugly and gross like they did in the Michael yeah, Bay movies. Cool. They look like the old version of the toys. Uh, they don't look like they're gears everywhere and giant teeth mouths and I can't really see what's happening. Yeah. I know that's Bumblebee and he's fighting Optimus Primal, the giant gorilla one. Yeah. And that's cool. And then there's one that's shaped like a cheetah, and that's cool. I mean, it just yeah. activates your, like, child part of your brain where, like, it's just totally. cool to see that. I think leaning into, like, the toy, like, look of these characters, not having them look, like, super machiny robot-y, but also still, like... And I think also, as audiences, we've grown more accustomed to these, like... I mean, the fight scene in here basically looks like the last scene in Avengers Endgame, where it's, like, this random like gray field gray field and it's just cgi characters running at each other but like we as audiences have grown like accustomed to that and like we accept it a little bit more as reality other rather than like when michael bay movies are first coming out and these are like first big cgi fight scenes we were like what the fuck is happening here right Mm -hmm. so i think part of it is also that our brains have become more accustomed to like being able to understand and comprehend like what is being shown and studios and like filmmakers have become more like in tune with like okay what makes sense for the camera like to do in this scene and how do we showcase this well like the animation and the way that we shoot that type of animation has improved over time so i think that that contributes as well yeah i totally agree and having someone like stephen capel jr who did creed 2 which is my least favorite creed film but oh yeah if you haven't heard i watched all the rocky films in order for creed 3 um and creed 2 is a good one but it is the weakest of the creed trilogy in my opinion um like having someone like that at the helm who understands like stakes and emotional investment in the characters makes me feel more safe with this film and having a young up-and-coming actor like anthony anthony ramos at the head of this makes me feel more safe even like the fact that he isn't just another white guy is cool because like the Michael Bay Transformers movies are, like, low-key racist. Like, there are, like... They, for some reason, they hate Latinos, like the Transformers. I don't know why. They just, like, use slurs and, like, racial stereotype, like, against Latinos a lot in those movies. Um, so maybe something happens here and Anthony Ramos, like, puts them off against all Latinos. Building goodwill with the He's trying to repair the relationship. Um, but it makes me, like feel like it's safe to go see this Transformers film. I'm not going to leave with a bad taste in my yeah, mouth. Yeah, right. Plus, it's cool to see a car that isn't Bumblebee as the hero's car. You know? Yeah. It's a mirage. And this car's cool because it can, like, make holograms of itself yeah. or something and make cops run into water yeah. barrels. Yeah. Get wrecked. A cab. It's neat. But also, as far as plot, don't ask me a thing again. Oh, uh, um, the plot of this movie looks like... There are the beasts that have... Transformers that have been on Earth for a long time and... Optimus Primal, the gorilla, is trying to tell Optimus Prime, the truck, about, like, probably some other third, like... Well, Unicron is coming. Oh, yeah, the guy that can eat planets. He's like Galactus. That was a thing in the third trailer. Once again, it's like, it's taken three trailers to do the work of one, because I'm, like, just piecing together new information about this movie. Yeah, Pete Davidson car told us that... But also, it's about vibes. (laughs) Honestly, vibe movies are where it's at these days. Uh, I mean... Yes, The Flash, very much a vibe trailer. Mario movie, we just watched it. That's a vibe movie. That's a vibe movie, movie yeah. Uh, I'm excited for Mission Impossible 7 coming up soon. Every Mission Impossible movie is a vibe movie. 
almost every James Bond movie, I think, is a vibe movie, but I've only seen one, so yeah. I can't tell you if that's true or not. Yeah. Vibe movies are fun. And if this can be a fun vibe movie, that's all I'm asking, really. Yeah, yeah. I just want it to not be terrible. Which, if you were looking at the track record of Transformers movies, it, it has a hard <laughs> task to accomplish yes. based on its predecessors. But we know it can be done... Because Haley Steinfeld and John Cena showed us in Bumblebee. Mm, absolutely. With Travis Knight, director of uh, Kubo and the Two Strings. Oh. It was weird, but it, was, it worked. So, Tyler, since you know so much about the Transformers franchise... I know everything. I think it would be fun to play this game that I like to call... Transformers franchise colon over slash under. So, Tyler, the way this game works is I will give you a Transformers movie, and then I'll give you a like topic that can be quantified like the budget or the rotten tomato score okay and i'll give you a random number and you'll tell me if you think that this movie beats that criteria is over that or is under that Mm, criteria okay i got you okay okay and since there are six transformers movies we will be having six questions and we'll go in order starting way back in 2007 tyler with the original transformers movie wow that was 2007 Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking about this film's budget. Okay. Back in 2007, do you think this film was made for more or less than $200 million? Hmm. $200 million seems like a decent budget. You could probably go higher, but it is the first one, and it is 2007. Yeah, you got to think about inflation. Yeah, I feel like... This is $2,007. Yeah, I feel like it's... Under two hundred million. That's correct. It was only one fifty to make wow. Transformers one. That's impressive, honestly. Next, we come to Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen in two thousand nine. Right. One of the worst Transformers films, in my opinion. But I still have not seen the Last Night. It's the only one I haven't seen, and I feel like I'm obligated to see it, but I don't want to. This movie I learned recently was impacted by the writer strike back then. We're in Checks a similar out. space, you know? But I think they finished this movie yeah, before the Rise Strike. of the Beasts is safe. For Rise of the Beasts 2, Revenge <laughs> of the Fallen Beasts. Uh-oh. Oh my gosh. But for this movie, I'm going to ask you the box office gross worldwide. Oh, okay. So did Revenge of the Fallen make more or less than $700 million? And this is $2,009. $700 million. Wow. Do I think... I feel like this could be like an eight no do you think people really wanted to see what happened i do feel like people were left after the first Transformers movies and they like wanted to know what was coming mm-hmm. next i Plus, feel like that was they had that lincoln park new yes. divide song that they were promoting and 21 guns yes. from green day it's over over 700 yes this movie is a movie that made 836 Jesus million dollars not just over but significantly over. yes the next movie is Transformers Dark of the Moon. Mm-hmm. This is the one that has Ken Jong in it. And the one that does not have Megan Fox in it. Boom. Now, for this, I'm going to ask you where it ranks in the box office worldwide. So, okay. the year is 2011. It, within 2011. Yes. So, by the end of that year, where did it Where did it fall? Was like... it number one? Was it right. number two? Etc. So, number one. Highest grossing movie of the year. <laughs> Transformers Revenge of... Or, no, Dark of the, Dark the, of the Moon. So, Tyler. I'll... Um, was this higher 
or lower than the fifth highest grossing movie of the okay, year. Okay, but when we say higher, are we talking four, three, one? Or yes. when we say higher, like six, three, one? Higher means the smaller number. Okay. If that makes sense. I think it's lower. I think it was in sixth place or lower. The correct answer is, this was the second highest grossing no, movie. No, you're joking. It made over a billion dollars. Oh my god. And the only movie that made more money than it that year was the last Harry Potter movie. Oh my god. That's insane. People were riding that Transformers high. Should have known. All right. We're going to skip ahead to 2014. Soft reboot for the franchise. No more Shia. Welcome Mark Wahlberg. This is Transformers Age of Extinction. And I'm going to ask you about the film's runtime. How long is this movie, Tyler? Mm. Now, Tyler, is this movie longer or shorter than 150 minutes, which is two and a half hours? Oh. It's got to be under 150. Tyler, this movie is longer than 150 minutes. You're joking. This movie sucks because it's so fucking long. It's 165 minutes long. Why? Like two and three quarters of an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the Transformers movie that finally broke me and did not (laughs) let it. I didn't go back to the theater again until Bumblebee when they reset it again. Dang. But there's a movie in between Age of Extinction and Bumblebee, Tyler, and that's 2017's Transformers The Last Last Night. And here we're going, this is the last film directed by Michael Bay. I'm going to ask you about the Rotten Tomatoes critic score. What did the critics think of Transformers yeah. The Last Night? So, Tyler, remember. is this movie have a higher score or a lower score than a 20% on Rotten Ooh, Tomatoes? 20. That's already so low. I feel like... I will let you know that this is the lowest score for a Transformers movie. You know, you could have given me 50 and then it would be like easy. It'd be know, easy. Even options over under. No. But 20 is like, I have so many more options for it to be higher, but I definitely feel like it's probably lower than that. Is it quite single digits? I don't know if it's quite single digits, but it's probably in the teens somewhere. I'm going under 20, under 20%. It is under 20%. Can you guess the number? 16. It's exactly 16%. Wow. Guys, he didn't cheat. I promise. But he's right. Wow. Uh, by the way, Transformers Age of Extinction only beat it by 1%. 17%. 17, 16. Wow, they were really good. <laughs> they saw a 17% score and they are like, let's do it again. <laughs> it's, it's worse than that one. All right. And time for the most recent Transformers movie, Bumblebee in 2018. I will tell you, this does have the highest critic score at 90-something. I think it was a wow. 90. It was below 95, but above 90. I can't remember the exact number. But this time I'm going to ask you about the audience score. What did mm. the everyman think of this movie? So, did the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, is it higher or lower than an 80%? Ooh, interesting. I feel like if, there are definitely movies that have high critic score that then audience are like, this is trash, like 60%. But I feel like for a Transformers movie, critics and audiences will kind of understand like what makes it good and fun. So I could see it definitely being in the 80s. Maybe it's like a 70-something, but I'm going to say it's higher than 80%. Unfortunately, this film only got a 74 oh, on the audience score. Interesting. I'm disappointed in you, audience. That's it's quite the a best disparity. One. I'm kind of surprised. Right? Like, over 20%? Like, I'm not surprised if it was, like, whatever, some, like, indie drama film or whatever. But for a Transformers movie, it feels like they would have similar, like metrics yeah but maybe the audience learned to love you know, the it's because it got review bombed because they didn't because <laughs> no Haley steinfeld no, was in it no boobs or butts not megan fox hot yeah sad well darn 
I did okay. Honestly, I, I got well. 50, I answered 50% of the questions in a game that was a 50-50 game, so it makes sense. And you even got that spot-on 16% Transformers <laughs> last night. That's worth a little bit extra, so... I agree. I'm grateful for that. Well, that brings us to the end of today's episode, but before we sign off, Ryan, we do have to answer the questions that we always do at the end of each and every episode of Preview Review, and that are... Those, those questions are... are is that Transformers... Are, is that franchise a product movie... <laughs> Because it's based on the toy? Or yes. is it a comic book movie because there's Transformers comic books? But the toy came first. Mm, product movie. Product movie. Mm, okay. Well, that, those are the questions we ask at the end of that every episode. That was one. What's the other one? Oh, the other one? Um, when will I get to leave my liminal space again after this? <laughs> Never. I'm not telling you. No! Uh, no, but for real, what movie that we talked about today are you most excited to see? And which trailer that we talked about today is your favorite? Well, I think I'm going to have to, honestly, I'm going to throw both of my votes behind Spider-Verse. Yeah, it's no contest. I'm the same way. I enjoy other parts of like the Flash trailer and or the Transformers, the Transformers trailer. trailer. I'm like, I will see Flamin' Hot and I think it's cool they're making that movie, but there's nothing that any of these movies do that makes me more excited than what's in the Spider-Verse trailer and what, you know, how excited mm-hmm. I am to see what that installment looks like. Exactly. For multiple years at the beginning of the year on this podcast, I've We've asked, what movie are you most excited to see? <laughs> and for multiple years, I've answered this Spider-Verse trailer as well, as, or the Spider-Verse movie, as well as Mission Impossible 7. And they both kept getting pushed back, but I'm getting both this year. Double prizes, baby. Let's Eating go. Good. Uh, yeah, super stoked for Into the Spider-Verse. So congratulations to uh, that team and uh, super stoked to catch this one. I'm just going to give these awards to Baby Mayday Parker. Sadly, I will be unable to attend... Watching this film in theaters on opening night. Yeah, Tyler didn't want to come with me because he was too busy, like, getting married or something. It is some too shit. close to my wedding day, and um, I am sad that I won't be able to be there, but I will try and watch it as on soon TikTok. as I can. Yes, as soon as they upload the whole film to Twitter. You're going to watch it in parts on TikTok, part one of 29. <laughs> oh, but I heard it's long. It's going to be part one of 36. <laughs> Speaking of social media, if you want more content for Preview Review, well, we don't really post on it too much, but you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Preview Review. At the very least, you'll know when new episodes come out, and uh, we post the links there. You can also follow Ryan and I on social media, or on Letterboxd, if you want to see what other movies we're watching, because we do watch more than just what we talk about on this podcast. We can only do four trailers an episode on this. I mean, we could do more, but then you'd be listening to us for, like, two plus hours, and you don't want to do that. So, well, I, just to give him a tease, Tyler, what... Is the last film you logged on Letterboxd? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I just mentioned on the podcast day, I watched Pig recently. Was that your first, first viewing? Time. It's yeah. a good movie. Um, the last movie I watched, I logged on Letterboxd. Yeah, it's Pig. Is Love Again. <laughs> it's garbage. How Don't see that? it. It's so bad, but it's so fun. Just so, just so the ends can get a taste. My review for Pig is, this is the longest and saddest Portlandia sketch ever. Oh, my review for Love Again? Not a good movie, but I had a good time. Nice. And isn't that what the theater's all about? At least the theater in my head. The Liminal Space Theater. Speaking of which, goodbye. (laughs) Talk to you next time on Preview Review. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.